Uh, Pat and I rarely go out to see movies these days. Uh, neither of us drive well in the dark, and uh, it's normally too loud for me, but we do get to kind of see them in catch-up either on Amazon Prime or on Netflix. And this last week, somebody had recommended we see a movie called The Founder. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's about the story of McDonald's. And in particular, the story of Ray Kroc, who uh, took this small uh, fast food chain, this fast food restaurant from San Bernardino that had been developed by the two McDonald brothers and uh, made it into this international franchise. Um, it was the brothers, though, and one brother in particular. Uh, whose brainchild it was, who had looked at um, all of the specialized equipment, had designed special equipment uh, to use, who had kind of drawn out on a, on a tennis court how the movement of all of the different services should be. So it was really his brainchild. Um, Ray Kroc was a door-to-door salesman. Um, but he, he, he loved the way the speediness of this particular restaurant. And so he persuaded the two McDonald brothers that he could take it national. And for the first part of the movie, whenever he's encountering people, he's actually um, you know, returning and saying it's really the McDonald brothers who, whose brainchild it was. But there comes a point in the movie where um, he's sitting down at another restaurant and there's a woman who comes over who's playing the piano and he's evidently smitten by this woman who is not his wife. Um, And she asks, well, when did you first start this? And after a really brief pause... He says, I started it in, and I don't remember the year, maybe 1957, whenever it was. And the person sitting next to him knows that that's not true. That he's just taken on himself all of the acclaim that is actually due to the McDonald brothers. And it goes on from there. Um, He is accruing to himself all kinds of um, intellectual um, expertise on this that is not his to own. John the Baptist absolutely refuses to do that. The word on the street is, is that maybe he's the Messiah who's come back. Maybe he's the prophet who's returned, who's long awaited. Maybe he's Elijah come back to life because Elijah was taken up into the heavens. And so masses and masses of people are coming out to hear him, to be baptized by him. And so it would have been so easy. In fact, they're trying to make him into this person for him to take on that, that persona, to be the great person that people think that he might be. But the Pharisees come out and the Levites come out and ask him who he is. And he is quite clear. I am not the prophet. I am not Elijah. I am not the Messiah. 
In fact, there is one who is coming, the thongs of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. In other words, he can't even take a servant's position with this one to whom he points. They say, well, why are you baptizing then? And he says, the one who's coming, I baptize with water, but the one, there's one who's coming who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. My sole purpose in life, why I've been sent, is to point to him and never to myself. He's the light. He's the one coming into the world. I am merely the one who is making straight the way for him to come. He was very clear who was the greatest of all. And it was not him. And he never took that position. He always pointed past himself to Jesus. You know, we tend to do that today. We, we can tend to put politicians or presidents, whether Democrats or Republicans, on a pedestal, like maybe the crowds at John the Baptist Day, and think, well, they would be the one to bring the country back to greatness, solve all the nation's problems. Or maybe we believe that our nation or another nation, but probably our nation, will be able to solve all of the evils and injustices in the world. We put doctors on a pedestal, believing that they can know and treat every medical ailment, all of the medical problems that assail us. We can put clergy on a pedestal, when we're supposed to be the ones just pointing past ourselves to Jesus. We can put academicians on a pedestal. We can put our family on a pedestal. You name it. But if we attribute to mere humans divine knowledge, skill, and abilities, we set ourselves up for frustration, for disillusionment, And ultimately, despair when our hopes are always dashed. Because humanity will never be able to build a utopia. It will not happen. It can not happen. When we believe another human, however gifted or skilled, or a nation however powerful, can in a sense be a savior, then we have lost the true focus of our Christian faith. We are no longer truly Christians looking at the one and only savior because hope is only found there. Greatness is only found there. There is only one who is the greatest of all, only one in whom we can put our hope, only one who will never disappoint us. And that one 
never puffs himself up, never takes greatness on himself. In fact, he takes off glory to be born in the frail form of a human baby, of ordinary parents in a conquered backwater land on the far eastern reaches of the Mediterranean Sea, a conquered nation in a stable with animals, in a feed trough for those animals. That's greatness. That's the one who is the greatest of all. And this is the one whom John, to whom John points. This is the one about whom he testifies. I've been watching another series on Netflix. I don't know if any of the rest of you have been watching it. It's called The Crown, of course. It's about uh, Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth II. And I'm not too sure whether or not they've got the plot lines completely right. I don't know enough about that to know. But they have got one thing right, and that's her Christian faith. The Queen has wanted to be an ordinary Christian. And the reason I know that they've got that right is because every Christmas Day broadcast, she talks about Jesus. She talks about God and recognizes that she can only do, that all that she does, her sense of duty, what she does as queen comes only because he is greater than she is. Doing small things in great love was one of the takeaway from last year following the master. And a couple of years ago, she actually quoted from John's prologue, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't overcome it and went on to actually preach an amazing sermon on hope. See, we always have to point past ourselves. We can't look to an organization, an institution or a person to be the savior of the world. There is only one and John the Baptist always testified to him. He, Jesus, was the light who came into the world. But how do we always do as John the Baptist did and look to the one true light and not to a mere shadow at best or at worst a glittering image with no substance? I think Paul gives us the answer in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. He says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always. You see, joy, Christian joy, is not determined by our external circumstances. It's determined by our faith in the goodness and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's 
sometimes, oftentimes, in spite of our external circumstances. In the words of C.S. Lewis, real joy seems to me almost as unlike security or prosperity as it is unlike agony. In other words, joy is not determined by feeling secure, except in the security of faith and trust in a God who is good and loves us. There was a stranger visiting a town uh, one weekend, and uh, he was looking for a church on the Sunday morning. And the streets were all deserted. And finally, he came upon a policeman. And he said, could you tell me, uh, could you point me to a church where I can go and worship um, this morning? And the policeman obliged. And he told him where to go to this church. And as the stranger was walking off, he turned around and he said, just out of curiosity, Um, why did you suggest I go to that particular church? There must be many churches um, in the neighborhood in this town that you could have um, told me to go to. Why this one? And he said, I'm not a churchman myself, but the people who come out of that church are the happiest looking church people in St. Louis. I thought that would be the kind of church you would like to attend do we go out rejoicing as we've worshipped here and known the one who is the greatest pray without ceasing the um, Christian formation class that, that I did recently talked about this Celtic Christianity that um, These early Christians in the 300s, 400s, 500s in Ireland and England and and on the continent, when they woke up, the first thing they did was to thank God for a good night's sleep and for waking up. There was one mother who who told her son, if the lark in the sky is singing God's praises with the dawn chorus, then we should also. How amazing is that? That as we hear birdsong in the morning, that we pray, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your creation. Thank you for a new dawn. Thank you for the sun that rises. Thank you for the sun that sets. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for warm clothes. Thank you for the, the, uh, the day. Pray without ceasing. Pray around everything. Uh, They prayed over making the bed. They prayed over making the the fire. They prayed over taking the cattle out into the pasture. They prayed as they milked the cows when they came in. They prayed when they went on a journey. They prayed when they got into a boat. Their whole life was prayer because what that does is that it reminds us that God is present. It doesn't bring God to us in a presence. His presence is always with us. But praying unceasingly opens the eyes of our hearts to see the God who is always present. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
You know, they've done scientific tests and actually gratitude is really good for you physically, emotionally, let alone spiritually, of course. But an attitude of gratitude actually makes you physically well. But gratitude also brings the God who is present, his greatness and his sovereign power to bear on our lives. Because when our eyes are attuned to actually see things as God's gift to us, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, it's all gift, right? It's all gift. But do we acknowledge it as gift? Do we have grateful hearts? You see, the more we rejoice, the more we pray, the more grateful we are, then the greater God is in our lives. He is always great. But we acknowledge his greatness when we do those things. See, not only are we always to look past ourselves, point past ourselves to the one who is greater, we are always to see mere humans in that relationship with God as well. Mere humans can never take on divine attributes, divine greatness. Only God is the greatest of all. So like John the Baptist, we are to be witnesses to the light. We're not worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. And yet, he invites us into this amazing ministry of being witnesses to him. Will we go forth rejoicing so that we can share the light of the one who is the greatest of all? Amen.